Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today on JOSPT Insights, we have our monthly Journal Club edition, where we focus on research articles as the springboard for interviews with authors, educators, as well as clinical experts. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at True Sports Physical Therapy in Baltimore, Maryland as well. And so today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Max Paquette. Max is currently an associate professor in the College of Health Sciences at the University of Memphis, director of the Musculoskeletal Analysis Laboratory and biomechanist within the Human Performance Center. Today we're speaking with Max to gain further insight into his recent clinical commentary in JOSPT entitled Moving Beyond Weekly Distance, Optimizing Quantification of Training Load in Runners. Max, first of all, thank you so much for coming on JOSPT Insights. Can you take a minute first and just tell us a bit about the inspiration behind this paper and then outline the big takeaways that you want listeners to walk away from this episode with? I think, you know, with the co-authors on this paper with, with myself, so Rich Willie, Trent Stellingworth, and Chris Napier, quantifying training in runners has been something we've discussed quite a bit. Often it's because mileage and volume is just such a small aspect of training that it probably explains a lot of the research inconsistencies we see, but also a lot of the reasons why in training, certain athletes can do a ton and not get hurt. Others can do a ton and get hurt. The same the other way around, where you have a lot of athletes who will train a lot and don't really improve and vice versa. So obviously there's something more to it, right? And the big takeaway, you know, from that was really that is like, here's a bunch of examples. Here's some science to justify the need to look beyond mileage. And so we really kind of urge coaches to, to when they read this paper, to think critically about what it means to just quantify mileage and what it doesn't mean. There's too many factors to consider in that training program. Some of these are external loads, like volume and pace, and some of them are internal, like the session rating of perceived exertion, heart rate, blood lactate level. There's a bunch on either side. So what do you think are the most important things that we could be measuring here that we're missing if we're just looking at weekly mileage? So mileage and duration are considered external factors for training. Coaches typically use that as the primary external factor. Now, that's a really far reach for an external load because we're just looking at distance covered. Biomechanically or mechanically speaking, external loads, we're thinking, think about forces that are acting outside the body, basically, and uh, being applied to the body. So anything like number of steps, vertical force, acceleration, pace. And so those are really common ones that coaches and clinicians use. But honestly, mileage is, is the one that is used most by far. And then what about internal loads? I think that's something that's not quite as intuitive to, to most people. Yeah, so I think it's important to break those down into two categories. So there's going to be internal mechanical loads or internal tissue loads, which would be sort of, you know, tissue stress, strain, or the resulting strain, and the forces applied on the tissues, basically. We can't really measure that, right? At least we can't measure that practically and, and, and often enough for it to be valuable. You can measure tissue uh, internal loads with, you know, fancy instruments. Of course, that's not convenient or fun or practical. So we don't do that. But that's just the topic is internal tissue load is really what's happening inside the tissue as a result of the forces from the outside, the external load. Then we have the internal physiological load, which are basically the response to the training from a physiological standpoint. So Chelsea, you mentioned already session RPE, heart rate, blood lactate, so on and so forth. Those are internal load measurements. So in the sports science world, internal load is really the response to training. And so that's why it's important to, to include the internal load measurement because 
if you don't assess the response to external load, how do you know what's going on? I mean, they sound like they are incredibly important. And you're right, to be able to get a good picture, it seems like having all of that information would be incredibly important. How the heck do you measure all of that? So that's a, that's the that's the big question, right? And I think a lot of companies and training apps and platforms are basically putting a bunch of numbers and options and hope that users, you know, answer those those questions and, and input those numbers. But ultimately, it all comes down to the wearable tech industry is just, I mean, it's massive now, right? But everyone's got their own metrics to measure things, but no one, at least no one has done it well where the user can apply it and affect change in their training reduce injury or improve performance, you know, directly. In terms of knowing what to measure and how to measure it, you, you got to look at it on a spectrum. So there's like the most accurate versus the least accurate, but then there's also the most practical versus the least practical. And you got to find somewhere in the middle, typically. Ideally, they're very practical and very accurate, valid, reliable, so on and so forth, right? It seems that far and away, rate of perceived effort or exertion, RPE, on a, on a visual analog scale, seems to be the most practical by far. You literally ask the person, how did that feel on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you know, the hardest possible effort or most difficult effort possible. There are, of course, limitations to doing that because you can't compare between people, right? Like if the three of us go for a run, 5K or something, and we all finish all the same pace, you know, obviously the same duration as a result of the same pace, and we, we are asked, how did that feel? I might say five, Chelsea, you might say two, Dan, you might say nine, for example. <laughs> just, just for the record, if Chelsea is at a two, I am at minimal an 11. <laughs> uh, yeah, hypothetically speaking, of course. But then, so you can't compare, oh, Max was moderate, you know, Chelsea, that was way too easy. And then Dan, like, you, like you're cooked, basically, you're done, right? You should go to sleep now. Um, well, it, it all depends on what you perceive what 10 is. So you can't really compare between people because it's so subjective and, and, and individual, but you, it's, it's, it's to be used to compare within a person. Now, if I ask you tomorrow, Dan's like, do the same run and now you feel like a five. Well, I know now that you feel better today. And I don't care how myself or Chelsea felt because I just, I'm just monitoring you, right? So it comes down to proper instructions to the athletes or the users, uh, the patients, making sure they understand what it means and how to rate properly. For their own sort of perception. That's probably the most simple one because everybody can do that, right? You don't need fancy equipment. You don't need a lot of time, so on and so forth. So it's practical. Do you use RPE to prescribe efforts for your athletes or do you use RPE more as a way to monitor their response to training? I rarely prescribe efforts like that. I will, I will use words for efforts, you know, like I'll say easy or, you know, you can push it, but it all comes down to communication, athletes understanding what it is that you mean, right? I think if you say, oh, you know, zero to 10 to an athlete in terms of effort, you better know what that means for that athlete. The tech world is great, but the human communication, the understanding of these terms is so, so important. I think that's why a lot of these apps don't work yet because a lot of people use them so literally and there's no context and they don't, it, it takes away the nuance of training. We need to think about these factors, natural physiologic healing time of a strain, the biomechanics of how someone runs and moves the tissue load that we're putting on them, taking into consideration, both of those things. Is there any place for prescribing mileage? Are you thinking about mileage at all? I rarely prescribe mileage. I, I typically use minutes because I feel like minutes are easier to control. And we make that kind of make a case in that commentary where like, if you're running 30 minutes, it doesn't matter how fast or slow you're going, you're running 30 minutes, like you're done after that time. 
Whereas, you know, if you're running, if you say five miles on a bad day, it could be 50 minutes on a good day, it could be 40 minutes. So that's 10 minutes more or less that you're, you know, you're not on your feet. And every minute you, t- you run more, you're taking more steps, right? 180 or so per minute, roughly. So a lot of people, especially coaches, think that soft surfaces are good for you at, in any given situation. And you think about this, oh, we're going to do a workout. Your Achilles is sore, but we'll go on the grass. It'll be a lot easier. So now you're on the grass. It's softer. They have to push harder to maintain their speed. And now it's actually stressing the Achilles more, but they think because it's on the grass, it's, it's better. These factors are important, right? Avoid hills. You know, sometimes Achilles stuff has to get on the track or, you know, because it's flat. Stay on the outside lane so the turns aren't, aren't so sharp. So there's just little details like this that can reduce stress just enough to continue doing something. Having that biomechanical understanding, short little acute strategies to, to reduce stress on a tissue that, that is painful, there's a lot of different factors. Yeah. So taking it. So, so instead of just saying, okay, you're going to increase by, you're going to hit this many miles this week and this many miles this week, you're going to give them a little bit more instruction, this many mile, this many minutes, but also avoiding these surfaces. And now this week we can add in these surfaces and this week we can add in this hill and, and taking that into consideration yep. with that, the minutes. Yeah. Like a, I might say like, wear, wear a shoe that's not too soft. Like don't wear a super cushiony, you know, or I might say avoid grass this week or avoid the trails or avoid hills. I guess that sounds like more from a, like a training program. So let's bring it back to, you know, if we're rehab clinicians from it, from an injury standpoint. So if you're trying to get someone back, how are, and, and we're progressing through a return to run program, how are we using both external and internal factors and how are we measuring them to make sure that their rehab is going the way we want it to? So I think clinicians have a really they're the best folks to be able to really kind of affect change that way. There needs to be communication between the coaches, the, the clinician, and the athlete constantly. Otherwise, it just it breaks, right? It just doesn't work. Starting with the external loads, I know in, a, in an ideal world, clinicians would have access to just instruments to measure the biomechanics of the runner. Definitely consider for each athlete, do they run in a way that might make you think that it's going to increase the actual load on the tissue, right? So for example, Think about runners, so rear foot strikers, forefoot strikers. You have someone who has an Achilles tendinopathy, they're, they're forefoot strikers. Obviously, run on your toes, the stress on the Achilles is going to be higher. So you're trying to, after some rehab and strengthening and whatnot, you're trying to bring them back to health and running gradually. Well, you need to consider that every time they run, the stress on their Achilles is massive. Of course, they're probably used to it because they've been doing this for a while. So you're trying to do two things. Of course, as you guys know, you're trying to make sure you can somehow make the tissue more resilient or able to handle load, which that's a, that's a gray area, right? Like there's a, a lot of debate around heavy strength training or, or lighter or, or slow or isometric, eccentric, so on and so forth. But basically you're trying to get the tissue a bit stronger. The other thing to consider is cadence, number of steps. So that's a hot topic now in, in for clinicians, right? So, you know, for tibial stress fracture, bone injuries, well, most injuries really, you, you increase the cadence so more steps a minute, which, is, which should reduce the per step you know, amount of force. Uh, of course, if you do that, you're taking more steps per minute. So that means that if you're running 10 minutes and you're taking 10 more steps a minute, of course, you're taking 100 more steps. You've got to think about all these external load factors, like step count is an important one, I think. You can, I think, make the assumption that, you know, pace will change force under the foot, uh, but not that much, right? If you, it, unless you go four minute mile per mile pace versus 10 minute per, per mile pace, that's a massive difference. But if you go in seven minutes to nine minutes, it's not that big of a difference in terms of the force applied to the, to the foot. So you can kind of operate on the assumption that the force doesn't change that much within a range of speeds. And so if you're taking more steps at any given pace, you're going to increase the overall load on the body. And I think number of steps for clinicians is such an important one. 
think about what different runs, even the same distance, how they might lead to different loads on the body. Your whole thing is just encouraging people, hey, think about something else. Which is so, and, and I want to point this out. I think some people might not know, but this, these concepts have been around forever. Like the RPE concept has been around for decades and decades and decades, right? Um, and it kind of fell apart uh, for, for, for maybe a decade in the middle, 2000 to 2010, maybe, mostly because all these fancy tech watches came out and people relied on these, these fancier metrics that have never really been proven to, to be that much more useful. So now it's kind of coming back almost. I don't want to say it left some of the better coaches and clinicians, but for those that relied on tech too much, it kind of, it steered them away from this logical, simple way of measuring internal load. All right. So let's say I'm, I'm returning a runner to a 10K and, I, and I've been using weekly mileage as my sole data point for progression. Now I've started to incorporate SRPE to help monitor my patient's response to their training load. And, and they've, they're running five miles per session recently. And their SRPE just jumped from an average of, let's say, four or five to an eight. What does that tell me? And, and what doesn't it tell me? All right. It doesn't tell you about tissues. That's the only issue, right? It tells you about overall how they're responding to training. If they're, if they're running five miles a day for 10 days and they're, they're, everything's fine, right? And then one day it's just like eight or nine instead of like four or five. Well, that's the good thing about SRPE or session RPE is that it tells you not just about how they respond to the training specifically, but also other factors in their lives. So work stress, financial stress, family stress, you know, bad sleep habit or whatever. But you can't ignore that. It's like, oh, it was, only, it was only five miles. Yeah, but it was five miles, but I felt like a nine out of 10. So that's going to beat me up for longer. And if I continue pushing through that, I might put myself in a hole. And then who knows then if I continue training when I'm really tired, that might affect issues. So now you're running on, you're really tired, you're not recovering, and you continue to run. RPE doesn't really tell you much about injury risk, but it might tell you that, okay, if you continue training this way while feeling beat up, it might change how you move or it might affect your recovery. And as a result, you know, you might get hurt because of that. And my guess is that you know, if it was a one-time thing, like, hey, you know, I slept like trash, that, that run felt like a nine. But the next week, you know, let's say I haven't changed training and I'm back to my normal RPE level. From a coach's perspective, that's not too worrisome or much of a red flag. However, if that RPE keeps being anomalous per se, then I really need to, to, to take, a, take a step back. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've said this to someone before, but I coached my wife, Lauren, uh, for five years. And now she's with the pro team in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. And, you know, when you live together with, with the person that you coach and that you train, who's training a lot, you pick up on a lot of things, right? And for, for her, it was a lot of things. She would trip, you know, when she was tired or drop things or tired, you know, just beat up. And you can tell that. So just to say that it's not just zero to 10. It's also, you know, if you communicate with a person uh, often and or regularly and, and clearly, then you'll pick up on things that might not be a number, right? So on the note of communication, it sounds like education and trust are, are paramount here because if a, if a runner is dedicated to, to a certain event, I can imagine that if you don't have a very close relationship with this person, they could either withhold some information or minimize pain reports in, in hopes that they, they, that they get cleared to run. How do you approach your education with runners to both establish the importance of accurate communication, but also to let them know that, that you're on their team? I think education is definitely really important. I would say trust is probably above it, honestly. Like it doesn't matter if they if you tell them some fancy things and tell them why you're doing this. I think if they don't trust you off the bat, it doesn't matter, right? So uh, as a clinician, same thing, you know, uh, coaches and clinicians have to have the trust of the athlete. I'm not playing you or I'm not clearing you because you're at, high, you're at a risk of either re-injuring or, or, or making it worse. And that's really difficult. And I'll say to most clinicians who deal with 
like high school or young athletes as well. But most parents are so caught up in these NCAA scholarships and it's perform, perform, perform every single time. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no time for a bad race or there's no time for a, an injury. And so I think part of it is just explaining the long-term, you know, value of health. You know, not just from a performance standpoint, but from just a health standpoint, especially in, in young athletes. The education part, absolutely, in the long-term approach to, to athletic development. I think the trust is, you know, so far in terms of convincing not only the athletes, but the parents as well. Okay, so I, I actually wanted to go back just a little bit. Dan touched on, okay, yeah, if that was a one-off on their uh, on their scale, they had just a bad night of sleep, and that's what you can attribute that bad run to, and that's easy. If they consistently are having that high RPE, and they're not being able to progress in some of their like distances or, or, or speed or whatever you're working on, so what is that backing up look like? And then what are you backing up and focusing on before you can progress again? Yeah, good question. I think it depends on the person, of course. Uh, with runners, uh, as clinicians know, it's just, they're a different breed, right? So not, not running for runners is like, that's the end of the world. So, uh, but often you get to a point where they're in such a deep hole that the only way to get out is really to take some time off. It could just be like a day off every other day for a week. And then the other day is just an easy, short little run, right? And here I'm talking about how they feel, like their effort. If they're always trashed and tired, like they, that's a sign of, you know, unplanned overreaching and bordering, you know, overtraining. So you kind of want to back off. And some people, it's just doing a little less. Others, it's just taking time off. And others, it's doing something else like swimming or biking or something like that. And so, yeah, I, I, it just really depends on, on the, the level of, of fatigue. You're not going to lose fitness. In fact, you're probably going to get fitter after you take this, this period. Yeah. So either you're backing off and either trying to increase the ceiling of something, whether that's the physiologic load or the tissue internal load, or you're just actually taking a break to let your body recover. Right. And of course, like from a tissue capacity standpoint, we know that, you know, taking time off isn't great. Like you have to kind of continually load tissue, but at times you don't have a choice. So you, so you were a coach then, Max. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scientist. I'm a professor at the University of Memphis, but I, I, I coach as well. I coach a bunch of high school runners. And yeah, but I don't coach like full-time, obviously, right? I just kind of, it's more like a hobby, really. Okay. This is valuable insight then because you have the brain of a coach, but then also the brain of a scientist. So what would you like those two groups to tell each other? What did the coaches think that, that the clinicians need to do better? And what do the clinicians think the coaches need to do better? Or or, or you can make it more positive. What are they doing great? <laughs> what are the other guys doing great? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I love that. So I'm really lucky here. So I have a lot of, a lot of friends clinicians so chris napier uh rich willie and then uh, a close friend here in memphis mark temmy who's uh, australian his the director of physical therapy at ortho south here in memphis my biomechanics background as a coach and his he's a runner as well so he, he speaks the coaching language and so that's the important thing is that coaches need to educate themselves on the the injury side you know they need to understand what the clinicians are trying to achieve so that they don't get in the way right so if I'm talking with Mark and he said, okay, we're going to basically have him, you can keep running, but no, like no hills or no this or no what, you know, depending on what it is. And here's the program I've given him. And so we're going to kind of keep incorporating that into it and then we'll progress. And then he like basically trusts me hundred percent with the progression back to running. So then the clinician has to educate themselves about coaching if they're not runners and if they're not in the coaching world. And, and then often with kids, it's going to be uh, involving the parents as well. Cause you, you can tick off the boxes, get less running strength but then there's this whole aspect of like sleep nutrition other aspects that you have no control over right so that's then the parents come on and then they really help you at it if i could sum up 
your wonderful article. Here's what I got from this discussion. So you are just begging clinicians and coaches to just take into consideration more than just weekly mileages because we need to think about other external factors. We need to think about pace and volume and step count, surface and hills, um, shoes. We also have to think about internal factors. We need to think about properties of that tissue. And we can think about that as strength and where the forces are going, whether they're going through bone or muscle or tendons and the biomechanics that play into that. And if someone has the mobility and flexibility and strength to be able to tolerate those loads and adding in the the RPE as well. So we need to take those into consideration when we are helping people come back from injury or helping people with their performance. And I just to hit back on our, I think the RPE is important for, from a training response standpoint. It also tells you about stuff outside of running. When you're dealing with pain, of course, like, like I said, like, I think RPE becomes secondary a little bit, especially the person's not running. Like you just, you just care about obviously symptoms and pain, but RPE becomes important when things are getting sort of uh, heated in terms of training. Uh, you really kind of, you're able to track the response. Of and I want to point out as well that prescribing mileage isn't a bad thing. <gasps> what? You know, people are like, well, how do you, I'm like, it's not. You can prescribe mileage. The big thing though is, is thinking about how to monitor the response to training. The assumption that, you know, 50 miles one week is the same as 50 miles the next week is potentially incorrect, right? So prescribing is fine, but monitoring should be done in a much more individual way. That last phrase, I think, really put everything together. That's beautiful. Uh, Max, where can people find you on social media? Twitter is the, more like the professional social media account that I use. And, I, and it's, uh, my handle is at uh, BiomechMax. Max, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, helping runners is something we see so often, but can also be quite challenging and, and quite complex sometimes. So it, it's been great to flesh out a, a lot of this with you. Well, thanks, guys. For more running and biomechanics-related content, make sure to check out Dr. Max Paquette on Twitter and also his publications. Lastly, we'd like to thank physical therapist Sean Maxwell for his assistance in developing this episode. And as always, thank you all for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.